Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Co-Sleeping. I'm Amanda. And I'm Adriana. And today we're excited to be joined by pediatric dietitian Amber Rodinas of Seeds and Sprouts Nutrition to discuss picky eating and navigating meals in infancy and toddlerhood in general. So welcome, Amber. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Good morning, Amber. I'm so excited because we haven't done an episode yet on nutrition, specifically pediatric nutrition. This is something that we've been wanting to talk about for a while. But before we dive in, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about you and the work that you do? Oh, sure. So I am a pediatric dietitian and a mom of two boys and also a military spouse. So I started my own pediatric nutrition business just because we're constantly moving around a lot. And um, historically, I've worked in the hospital setting and neonatal intensive care units. So I have always taken care of the tiniest little babies. And I've worked in children's hospitals and uh, various settings like that. But then with the military moving us from place to place, I decided I can do kids nutrition on my own and take my job with me wherever I go. So that's what started Seeds and Sprouts Nutrition for Kids. And so now I uh, work a lot with families and kids just on various nutrition topics, especially uh, specializing in picky eating for kids. So Amber, your website is super intuitive and really helpful. I mean, you have so much on there from your blogs to tips to discussing meal plans and things like that. Highly encourage everyone to check it out. But could you kick us off by talking a little bit about some of your favorite tips for navigating picky eating? Yeah, absolutely. So on my website, when people go to join my email list, they receive the 10 tips for picky eaters. It's kind of a long comprehensive list here, but some of the most important tips that I can express to families would be number one is to provide the multiple food exposures. So this doesn't just mean putting food in front of a child and tasting it 20 times. Food exposures can actually be anything from grocery shopping where the kids get to help pick out the produce and they touch it and they see it and they smell it. You know, they can help meal plan. They can help out in the kitchen with taking the vegetables you've already chopped up and picking them up and putting them in a bowl for you. The most simple tasks. Of course, then there's the mealtime exposures where you're actually serving the prepared food and then they can, you know, touch it or taste it or smell it. All of those are food exposures. Another fun food exposure that is less known is even reading. So in this age group, we read a lot at night, you know, before bed. So I encourage parents to pick up books about different fruits or vegetables or, you know, foods. And you can actually learn about where does food come from? What does it look like? The kids enjoy reading, but that's also considered a food exposure. I wouldn't even think of the reading in the grocery store as food exposures. I've always just go right to them actually eating. So that's such a great point. Is there a certain time that's like best to introduce these foods? Is it best to do it early on? I know we hear kind of conflicting things, especially when it comes to allergies, like the perfect time to introduce certain foods. Yes. So actually, it seems the earlier, the better. Now, Um, the AAP has actually, I guess, adjusted their recommendations It's not necessary to withhold the top allergens for too long. You want to get the exposure done early. Now, when it comes to introducing different foods to your child, the earlier the better is always the case. 
you know, when you're introducing new foods to a baby, you're not going to feed them apples every day for several meals a day, right? You would want to give them apples or green beans and carrots. You know, you're providing a variety. The key is to stick with that as they, you know, go from infancy into toddlerhood. They will have already known what to expect. So you just don't ever stop serving a variety, and that helps immensely with picky eating. I did this with my own kids. I made their own baby food from the beginning, and still to this day, my kids are now seven and four, and they expect a vegetable and a fruit with every meal. And, you know, occasionally we'll have a Friday where we have pizza, and my oldest son will be like, where's my broccoli? Or, you know, where where's my vegetable? Because they're just so used to it, and we've just operated that way for their whole lives. I have had a very similar experience where from the beginning, I tried to introduce my son, who's now 21 months, um, to as much as I could early on. I mean, I've been really grateful and lucky that he's a great eater. There's not much that he won't eat. So it's nice to hear that early introduction and just trying a variety of things could actually be really helpful. One thing that I had a tricky time navigating, and I think a lot of new, especially first-time moms have a tricky time navigating, is how much is like portion Mm -hmm. or amount, especially when you're introducing foods in the beginning. I think there's a misconception that like when they start eating, they're eating like full on meals. And, you know, depending on when you introduce food before a year old, their main source of sustenance is either breast milk or formula. So I think extinguishing that sort of expectation that your child's going to be sitting at the table and eating a full meal when they start eating is helpful. But is there a way to sort of navigate how much we should be feeding or how much we should be expecting our infants and then toddlers to be eating? Is there a way that we can gauge that outside of just doctor's visits to make sure that our kids are getting enough? Yeah. And you're absolutely right. So when you're first starting out, babies aren't really taking much. It's almost just practice at that point. So around six months is when babies need a little bit more iron in their diet. They've lost the stores that they had built up Um, when they were in utero. So when babies turn around six months, that's when you want to start with some iron fortified foods, you know, just a little tiny bit, maybe like a tablespoon. And that might be all they eat for that meal. And so for a little while, it's just practice. But I do encourage parents to still, you know, bring the high chair over to the table while you're also having a meal. They're engaged with the entire meal. Now, are they going to eat as much as us? Absolutely not. Now, the way to gauge how much to keep feeding your child is solely based on your child's cues. You know, if they start spitting their food out and they're, you know, if they throw it on the floor, that's a cue they're done. They're not, they're no longer interested in putting it into their mouth. But if they are finished up with the few spoons you've already given them, they are free to have more. So I always tell parents, always just take it um, child by child and day by day, even child appetites fluctuate daily. Kids grow in more of a stair step pattern. So there will be days where they will eat so much and they'll want seconds and thirds. And then maybe a few days later, they are just not very hungry. They will hardly nibble on what you give them. And you think, oh, something must be wrong. Actually, their appetites fluctuate with their growth patterns. I always tell parents, start small, give a small portion, maybe a few spoons of each item you're giving. And if they want more, 
they can, of course, have more. So I I try not to stress out about portion sizes for kids. I say if you start small and go from there, everything should work out. That's such good advice because I think we so often have this expectation that they should clear their plate because as children, that's kind of what we were told. Like you can't get up until you've eaten all your vegetables or you can't have ice cream until you've finished eating. And that's something in our home I try not to do because like you said, like I'm not even like yesterday. Well, Adriana just said it's 3 p.m. where she is and she's just now eating her first meal. So sometimes we're not hungry, you know, when the normal eating times and when we really should be. And I'll go, you know, half the day and be like, oh, you know, I haven't eaten much where other days I feel like all I'm doing is eating. So it's really, you know, the same for our children as well. I wanted to hear a little bit about your thoughts on kind of like high value items like sweets and desserts. My mentality my whole life has always been like dessert should come before your meal. But now that I have a three and a half year old, I'm Obviously, that's not, you know, good practice to teach her. But if she doesn't clear all her plate, I don't force her to finish eating because like one of your steps says to role model. So I want to role model healthy eating habits and I don't want her to force feed herself in order to get, you know, a scoop of ice cream. Absolutely. That's exactly how I encourage my parents to uh, feed their kids. So I always include dessert as a part of the meal, sometimes even served with the meal, or it'll just be sitting on the table with the rest of the food. Now, the thing that you want to avoid is putting those dessert foods on a pedestal. You know, you don't want to use dinner as a bribe just to get to the dessert. Because like you said, kids will just force feed themselves and completely get rid of those, you know, hunger and fullness cues that now in adulthood, we're all trying to get back with intuitive eating. Um, Kids are already intuitive eaters. So, you know, if they have had enough, I say, that's fine. Do you have room for dessert? You can have a little bit of, you know, whatever it is we're having. Oftentimes, you know, if my kids are truly full, they won't even finish dessert. They'll take a few bites of whatever it is we're having and then they leave it. And so I think that's kind of the the goal, the ultimate goal for creating healthy habits that go into adulthood. You know, you don't want to create this environment where kids will obsess over the sweets. You just want to make everything a part of a balanced diet. And that's really encouraging to hear. I think uh, private conversations Amanda and I have had we're always sort of trying to be in the middle about things, whether it be food or screen time. We're, as parents, just trying to practice sort of moderation with our kids, as we are just ourselves as adults. So I did want to ask, there's a lot, especially on social media now, this big debate between prepared foods and baby led weaning. We hear about it so much now versus mushy foods or jarred foods. And there's a lot of mom shaming going around about what people do, what they choose to do, how it affects our kids. Is there truly a better way? I feel like it starts with breast versus formula and there's all types of judgments there. But then once we introduce foods, there's a horde of judgment going on about how we choose to introduce foods to our kids. So I'm interested to hear from a pediatric dietitian's perspective, do you think there really is any kind of a major difference or a major, do you favor one or another? Or is there any true like major con to how you choose to first introduce food to your children in terms of preparation or how they're experiencing their food? So that is a really great question because you're right. There is so much controversy around this and the mom shaming is just so out of hand. (laughs) Um, But 
in my professional opinion on, on, you know, the professional side of things, I don't see a major difference between, you know, if you start out with pureed foods versus a baby led weaning, it's really just up to what the baby is ready for. So, you know, sometimes it's the baby's already interested in what the parents are eating. And so maybe a parent will pick off a piece of their food and be like, oh, here, you know, try this. And it goes over well and it increases that parent's confidence and like, oh, my baby ate this. You know, what else can we progress to? And that baby is ready for that. And that's totally fine. Some babies love to be spoon fed and they love holding the spoon and they like the puree texture. And then, you know, the parent can gradually make it lumpier and chunky and eventually get to the solid foods when that baby is ready. Also, it really is a matter of what fits into that family's life. Is a parent making food for the baby? Like, homemade purees like I did? Or is it just easier to cook one meal and take parts that maybe are baby appropriate, chop them appropriately, and let the baby try to eat it that way? Everything's so individualized, but I have seen that no matter which method a parent uses, when the child is you know, into toddlerhood and early childhood, I mean, most kids are at the same place by that point. So I don't think there's a major difference. I think parents need to just focus on what fits best into their life and what their own child is ready for. I love that because I think that's something that we really talk so much about is what really works for that individual family. I know as personally, we did baby led weaning and really it was just convenience for me. I cook all of our meals and the thought of having to then cook three additional meals like that overwhelmed me. But um, we put a question box on um, Instagram and we actually got a lot about baby led weaning. So I'm glad we brought this up. And a lot of people are saying that their children are kind of stuck on purees. And some of it is they're having a harder time transitioning to wholer foods. And some people are saying it's because of their anxiety. So how, like I know for my husband and I, he was the one who was like, I had a little bit more fear towards it with choking. And I mean, I work in healthcare, so I've taken all my courses, both pediatric and adult. So I I felt confident, but there was still that fear in the back of your head when it comes to your own child. And it was my husband that really helped kind of just push us through that a bit. But how does somebody get over that fear? Is there courses? Is there kind of, you just have to rip the bandaid off and try it? Is there something to kind of instill confidence? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know of any specific courses for that uh, specific topic, you know, building confidence. I know other pediatric dietitians, colleagues of mine, um, and other dietitians on Instagram personally that, you know, have baby led weaning apps and, you know, things like that. But when you're in the thick of it and you are worried, like, can my child handle this new texture? You know, a lot of parents will panic a little bit when their baby gags because they think they're choking. So, you know, maybe being read up and educated a little bit on what the difference between choking and gagging is, or, you know, reading other blogs or just kind of exploring a little bit to know that whatever is happening is normal and that's fine and it's part of the progression. But then, To build your own confidence, it really is stepping out of our own box. I think a lot of parents do get trapped in a vicious cycle because they find something that is working and they're comfortable with, and so they keep repeating it and keep repeating it. And one example I have is a parent that had a terrible time getting their child off of the baby food pouches. 
So there were a few issues with that. The baby liked the texture and then started to prefer food from a pouch. So there were a couple things, removing the food from the pouch so that that doesn't become a pedestal and then spood feeding it instead. Branching out then into if you do get some pre-made baby foods, get the next step up. Or, you know, if you're baby led weaning, try the next texture and just watch your baby's reaction. How, how are they managing it? Are they gagging a little bit? Okay, maybe that's going to take a little bit more practice. The ultimate confidence booster is when you try something new and you see that your child is ready for it and thriving and you're like, okay, they, they can handle this. But it's really getting out of our own heads as parents to take that step to do that. Hey, everyone. I know Amanda and I have talked a lot about our postpartum journeys, self-care being a big part of that. Our friends over at Oh Hey Mama Hair have created a line of plant-based scalp care products for postpartum moms. Their products are herbal-based, clean, and small batch, and they're crafted right here in the U.S. And I love that they contain essential oils because not only does it leave my hair smelling great, but it's also really hard to find clean products that will actually work. Their line of hair repair includes a hair serum, scalp wash, which is what I've been using the last few months, and a conditioner. They contain ingredients called DHT blockers, which can topically fight back against the hormonal causes of thinning and shedding. Which is definitely something I struggled with. So we've talked so much about the importance of self-care, and this routine is perfect for not only new postpartum moms, but moms that feel like their hair never just really recovered after having their baby. And yes, that was me. I feel like after having my daughter, I kept waiting for my hair to kind of snap back to what it was pre-pregnancy. And it kept snapping, but just in a different way. (laughs) I bet it feels so good to have a routine and to do something actionable to actually take care of your scalp and hair. Things like that always really make me feel a bit more like myself. And it also feels really good that the scalp wash has allowed me to stretch my wash days so I'm not stuck washing and styling my hair every day because let's be honest, I obviously don't have time for that. That is a must for postpartum moms or seasoned moms. So to learn more about Oh Hey Mama's line of products and take control of your hair loss, head on over to ohheymamahair.com and use our exclusive discount code COSLEEPING10. That's COSLEEPING10 for 10% off your order. I have a bit of a personal question, but we can make it more general, of course. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about distractions during mealtimes. How does that look? Examples of it and your thoughts on that. Right now, I am actually spending a six-month period with my son in my home country. I'm in Bosnia with him. And we have our own little apartment and I have a balcony. Everything is more affordable here, like incredibly affordable. That's the only reason I have these things. But we do breakfast on the balcony and he loves it. He loves looking over the city. He loves the sound sights. We talk about, you know, what we're seeing and it's really nice. It's nice to be able to do that with him. He eats in his high chair on the porch. I'll drink my coffee. And that's like a distraction that I don't feel any kind of guilt about. I feel good that we're able to do that together. But we've been recently, and by recently, I mean like this past month, experiencing an incredible heat wave. So breakfast can't be on the porch outside. I mean, he's like red and sweaty four minutes in. So we're doing breakfast inside. And because there isn't that sort of activity or that moment where we're bonding over talking about something or looking at things, we're inside and we're doing a lot of screen time at breakfast. And it's like the one thing that's getting me and him through my coffee and like his meal. Because without it, it's just like, let's destroy the apartment while we sort of eat in intervals. (laughs) 
Uh, and I just don't, I don't love that we're using the screen that much for breakfast specifically. It's really the only time we're doing it. And I do wonder like, is this harmful? How harmful is it? Is this one of those things I can let slide? Is it going to be a problem when we no longer have a balcony and we're able to overlook the city and talk about things. So can you just give us your like complete candid and honest opinion on sort of creating habits around mealtimes, like for example, screen time? Yeah, absolutely. So I really like this example and this is not uncommon. This is a struggle that a lot of parents have. So this is a great question. When I discuss this topic with my families, we do try to not use screen time during mealtimes in general. And that's because, you know, once it becomes an expectation for that child, some kids will flat out even refuse to eat without it. And so I try to eliminate that problem before that starts. Now, the other distractions that you mentioned, you know, just being outside in another environment, I don't really consider those distractions. That's just your meal environment. And that is creating a very like joyful, pleasant experience for that meal for your child. And so I do like to encourage parents to create that. Even if it's indoors at the dinner table or breakfast table, you can create other sources of, I guess, quote unquote, distraction that are more conversational. You know, you can ask a kid's conversation. So you ask things like, what's your favorite animal? And, you know, can you make a face with your food on your plate? So food plays a big one. And I know some parents struggle with that, but that's a great distraction and a great way to make kids just more engaged with what they're eating and also a food exposure. If you have a picky kid, sometimes kids just touching a food is a win. Um, so I like to encourage those types of mealtime distractions and creating positive mealtime environments where it's just more fun and playful. But when you start branching over into the screen time, sometimes it can just become a habit, which then leads to a certain expectation, which then it gets a little bit more difficult to change down the road. I say, you know, if it's an occasional occurrence, that's not the end of the world as long as that meal doesn't become dependent on that source of entertainment, then it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And we're getting to the dependency state because <laughs> for breakfast, he does this little fist pump right now, um, which means like <laughs> put a video on for me. So like he'll look at me when we go into the living room and starts fist pumping. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm like a YouTube DJ in the morning. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we've definitely got into the dependency state, but thank you for sharing. I'm definitely going to. Think twice what videos are you watching? Too. Jersey Shore? Where is he getting the fist pump from? <laughs> <laughs> is he beating up the beat over there? Pre, I feel like before my daughter was born, my husband and I ate literally every single meal in front of the TV. Like we would do our like Wednesday night sushi nights and watch our show. So that's something that we've moved away from as like after our daughter was born. But now that she's getting older and busier, we've kind of, we still do dinner like as a family at the table. But sometimes I agree breakfast is tough because I'm not great about waking up before my daughter and I need like a cup of coffee before I'm able to function. So a lot of the times she is eating her breakfast in front of the TV. So I'm glad that we brought that up because I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah, it's it really is so common, especially with just the abundance of technology these days. Mm -hmm. But I mean, my kids also, they do wake up before me and my husband, maybe by like 30 minutes. And so we have a system in the morning where they can go downstairs and my oldest son, 
he's old enough to turn the TV on. So, you know, he and his little brother will watch cartoons until we come down to make breakfast. So we kind of, you know, have a hard line in between the two. And that's kind of how we get around, you know, that issue. So mom and dad can still have coffee while they watch cartoons. And then we have breakfast and then everybody's happy. And I think where things get difficult too, like my daughter just started soccer. So like we're getting to be a bit busier. I mean, we're a pretty busy family, but now we're busier like with her activities and things. Like I cook most of our meals, but it's like, how do you kind of do it all? Like what's the best way to kind of create and maintain healthy habits with eating when it's easier just to, you know, grab something while you're out or on the way to practice? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and I've been there. My kids played soccer last season. So, you know, I'm rushing home from the hospital and trying to get dinner done by 5.30 before practice and, you know, totally been there. But I think a lot of it comes down to planning. You know, if I know I'm not going to have time to actually cook a meal, it's okay to do a couple different things here. You don't have to always cook a gourmet meal. Sometimes I made my kids ham and cheese sandwiches, a side of baby carrots, and some grapes or strawberries cut up and their milk and a yogurt. And that's a balanced meal and it didn't take any prep time. And so, you know, we would just have like a picnic for dinner almost. Mm -hmm. And that's totally fine and quick. And then the other thing I want to mention is sometimes we would just grab food on the go and that's okay. And so I don't want parents to feel like an immense pressure that every meal has to be at home for their kids to have healthy food habits. Everything is okay in moderation. I I truly feel that. Um, And like I said, with the screen time, as long as you're not becoming dependent on this, you know, meal out, you know, it's okay to do every once in a while. Even if it was like once a week, if you just had a day where it was just impossible and that's just what you planned for that day, then that's the day you do it. You know, your kids don't come to expect it, but they, you know, they do enjoy it and that's okay. Just as, you know, we enjoy a good meal out, that's okay. And it's fun and it's positive and um, a good experience for everyone. So Amber, can you talk to us about when might be a good time for a parent that is struggling with introducing foods or just with mealtimes in general and having stress about this with their child What types of clients do you see when people are reaching out? What is it that they're saying? I know we have a lot of listeners that are very like on edge or stressed about this topic in general. We receive so much when we open up the floor for like, what's going on in your life right now with kids? What's stressing you out? This is such a major topic, which is really why we wanted to have you on. Um, So can you talk about what that looks like when someone reaches out to consult for your help? Yeah, it's really interesting, the patterns I've seen. So I've seen parents at every stage. I've had parents that come to me when, um, you know, they're struggling to get their babies off of puree foods. They're afraid to branch out like we kind of had already talked about. They come to me when their kids are toddlers and they're cooking meals and they're just at their wits end and their child is literally eating nothing but these certain brands of chicken nuggets and nothing else. And then they're worried about their nutrition status. You know, are they getting enough of other nutrients? 
And then I've had some parents that reach out, you know, when their kids are like 10 at that point, and it's turned into a much larger problem because now they're, you know, some of the habits that they've had all through childhood are going into their teenage years. The parents are really worried at that point. So I would prefer that parents, you know, reach out earlier. You know, when you start to feel a sense of stress or panic or it's causing tension within your family, that's a problem that you don't want to continue. A lot of parents will just hear from others and, you know, it'll be things like, oh, it's just a phase. They'll grow out of it. Many times kids can grow out of phases, but it also is because there are changes in the dynamics. You know, they're getting older and maybe schedules change and a different variety of foods are being served. You know, as long as you are changing your family's mealtime habits and dynamics along with their age, they can grow out of some of those old habits. But if you're struggling with that and you don't know how to make the changes or you don't know which changes to make, that's when I recommend reaching out to someone for help. You know, you can talk with your pediatrician. Every pediatrician office doesn't have a pediatric dietitian. And so, um, you know, that's where people like me come in. I do a lot of online virtual counseling and my group programs that aren't connected to one individual pediatrician. Yeah, the earlier the better because you want to stop the bad habits as early as possible and start developing the ones that you can take into teenager years and adulthood and the rest of your life. And I can imagine too that if the parents are having like a lot of stress and anxiety, you know, at mealtime and surrounding mealtime that our children pick up on that. I know we went through that with like nap times when we were dropping the nap and my daughter wasn't sleeping. I knew that she was feeding off of my energy. So the nap was not going to happen. So I think that can happen probably a lot of times with mealtimes too. If you're, you know, really tense and wanting your child to try this new meal or you're nervous about it, they can pick up on that. I did want to talk to a couple of the questions that we received on Instagram. We have a lot surrounding milk, whether it be breast milk and the children um, kind of preferring breast milk over meals, which I can speak from my own personal experience. My daughter, I mean, she's three and a half. And if I gave her probably like a plate of food or breast milk, she would probably still prefer to breastfeed. But she eats, you know, solid food all day. She, I mean, her favorite meal is sushi. Like she's not, you know, she's not missing out on her meals. I think, you know, from my personal experience, I can, I kind of think that that's a bit of a phase and they will start kind of eating more solid foods and not always prefer breast milk. But we also got a lot about like cow's milk. Is that necessary? Can they use an alternative when to introduce it and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to milk versus, you know, mealtime food, I think that has a lot to do with timing. You know, you would just want to be a little strategic and, you know, you wouldn't want to give your child the option. Would you rather have the milk or the food? Because yes, they will absolutely try to opt into the milk that they prefer, but, you know, maybe offer the milk in between the meals so that they have a chance to get the um, other nutrients that you are serving up in the balanced meal. You know, that, that comes down to the timing for sure. Now, when it comes to cow's milk, cow's milk is absolutely not necessary. You know, if a family decides that they would prefer to opt out of cow's milk, that's fine. 
Some kids are allergic to cow's milk and they have to do plant-based milks in anyways. That is something I, I kind of talk about because parents are afraid their kids are going to miss out on the protein and some of the fat. So as long as your meals are protein rich and healthy fats are included, cow's milk isn't necessary. Actually, now questions coming up for me. This is Aiden specific. That's my son. Um, but I'm sure other parents have this question because I have talked about it with other moms. Aiden hates meat. He just, he won't eat it unless it's like minced into like a mush and mixed with like a vegetable. He just, there's, there's absolutely no interest. Um, Mm -hmm. I have had his blood tested. They do that at a certain point. I forget when, when they do the blood testing, I think at a year and a half or something like that. And his levels are all great. Like he's not iron deficient or anything like that, but we don't eat meat essentially. And he still has no interest. I'll continue to offer it. And it's not really for him right now. So can you sort of walk uh, me and us through that? Is it, is it okay if your child is really not preferring something over a longer period of time? And I think protein deficiency and iron deficiency is like a big, a big concern for a lot of parents. Yeah, absolutely. So I have talked to so many families about this one, and you would be so surprised at how little protein small children actually need. So, you know, in adult nutrition, we just hear, you know, push the protein, high protein. That's how, you know, you get lean and all these things. So I think adults are so used to um, having a protein-heavy, like, mindset right? But a child really only needs about one gram of protein for every two pounds. For example, a 30-pound toddler would only need 15 grams of protein total. Just to put that into perspective, one cup of milk, one eight-ounce cup of milk already has eight grams of protein. So that's half of their protein needs right there. So meat isn't necessary. You can get protein from so many things, dairy, you know, if your kid doesn't drink milk, maybe they have yogurt or maybe they eat cheese. That's all protein. You know, then there are plant sources of protein. Of course, there, you know, beans and legumes and even tiny amounts of protein add up, you know, in things like oats or other grains that you get, you know, one gram here or two grams there. And it's so easy for kids to meet their protein needs. But you are right. For kids that um, don't eat meat, we do wonder how do we get the iron in. And then we also look to plant sources of iron, you know, things like kidney beans, even spinach. I've pureed spinach and just put it into, you know, meals or like a pasta sauce or something. That's all good ways to get in extra iron. So meat is definitely not a requirement, but Anytime a family's missing like an entire food group, that is a great time to maybe ask your pediatrician or your dietitian to kind of take a look and evaluate if we're missing this food group or, you know, for example, the meat food group, are we getting enough of the other nutrients in the other things we're eating? And these are the things we're eating. How can I improve it? Or are we doing a good job? So that's kind of what I do with my families when I'm looking at their kind of food intake. And I, I really do like to set parents' minds at ease about protein. Hardly any child I've ever counseled or any family I've ever counseled actually truly been protein deficient. And I point out all these protein sources and the parents are just like their minds are blown. They're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize we're doing great. And I'm like, absolutely You don't need to stress about this. Yeah. When we think protein, my mind immediately goes to like meat. And my daughter's the same way. She'll eat like 
if it's like tacos and it's ground beef, she likes it like that. But if we do like grilled chicken breast, she's not going to eat just like a hunk of meat, which like I get as like a three-year-old, that's not probably very appetizing for her. But like we bought these protein bars for her and she just picked them out at the store and I looked and they have like 10 grams and it's like geared towards kids. So you're right. If she does that and then, you know, a cup of beans, she's already at her amount for the day. So it adds up really quickly. I didn't realize how little they need. Not very much at all. And I think most of it, and like we had already mentioned, so much of the stress that's created around um, feeding our kids is created by the stress that we feel as adults too. Mm -hmm. There's so much pressure, especially our generation and just the way that we were raised and the food habits that we formed. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stress and anxiety that comes with making sure that we're, you know, doing the right thing or, you know, and the the mom shaming and there's just mm-hmm. a lot of pressure in general. Yeah. And as adults, I think we just, we have unrealistic expectations for everything, whether it comes to sleep, eating. I feel like every mom has like one or two things where they thought it was going to be one way. I mean like shit, I thought motherhood all, as a whole was going to be one way and it's completely another way. So I think that's really important too, just kind of, you know, setting your expectations and being realistic you know, you see these plates of food. I'm in like a lot of baby led weaning groups on Facebook and you see some people put out like these like little character plates and they cut everything. And I'm like, that's great for them, but like that doesn't work for us. And then you see other families who are feeding what works for them. And there's people in the comments like, oh, that's not healthy or this isn't. And I've left a lot of those groups because I'm like, I'm past that chapter where I need, we're obviously way beyond baby led weaning at three and a half. But I'm like, some of that, it just feeds into a lot of insecurities that I think as moms, we don't need. Uh, But before we go, we ask all of our guests, what is your go-to coffee order? Oh, I like this question. (laughs) Um, I am obsessed with coffee, first of all. So I have a lot of different orders. But one of my favorites recently has been I've switched over to a latte with heavy cream because I've just found the texture to be amazing. And then just a sugar-free vanilla syrup. So really basic, but it's so creamy. I used to use varying types of um, milk. I would use oat milk or almond milk, but I found heavy cream and it's just so basic, but it's so good. That's so funny you say that. I I recently just kind of made the switch over to heavy cream too, just with my coffee. Like I prefer non-dairy when it comes to like milk, but you're right in coffee. It makes it more desserty almost. Oh yeah. It's It's so good. (laughs) I've already had my two cups this morning here. It's 9.45 a.m. here and I'm thinking I have heavy cream up there. Maybe I'll go for a third cup, which (laughs) is insane because I have not eaten breakfast yet at almost 10 a.m. And then I know we talked a little bit about your 10 tips guide, which everyone can find on Instagram at your websites in your bio. That's where we got it emailed to us. But we've talked a lot about um, your blog and your page. Just tell everyone, kind of plug everything you've got going on so our followers can find out more. Oh, sure. So yes, you can find me on Instagram and I am the kids nutrition dietitian. And from that, I I put a lot of informational content out, um, but then I do link to my website that is uh, seeds and sprouts nutrition for kids. Then from my website, I do one-on-one counseling, but lately I have, I've been doing way less of that because I started my group program called the Picky Plate Program. So uh, because I get so many families with picky eating issues and just, you know, they're busy and they, they've just needed so much help with everything we've kind of talked about today, it has been much easier. I can help a whole group of parents at once. So it's 
a small group program, usually around 15 to 20 parents. And we meet weekly. There's weekly lessons. And generally, the group programs last four to six weeks. So that is something that I hold several times per year. And you can find that from my Instagram or from the website. That's so interesting. Does that give actually parents a chance to connect like over this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So during the program, we do the weekly meetings and they are they, they are virtual meetings. But yes, yeah, so everybody chats together. We share ideas. Then we have a private group where the families can chat in between our sessions, you know, what's working, what's not working. Um, you know, one parent might have tried this and they share that with everyone. Like, oh, look, we bought some new placemats and they made the kids so excited to sit at the table today. And, um, you know, you know, just like examples like that, they just share everything they're doing with each other. So it's like a whole family dynamic and it makes parents feel like they're not going through this alone. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you shared with us today. Amber, you were honestly one of my favorite guests. Like not only are you just so like cohesive and clear to listen to, but this was so informative and so helpful. And you have such like an encouraging, non-judgmental tone. Um, I will be surprised if you don't hear from some people through our Instagram very shortly. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you guys so much for having me. I have loved getting to know you guys and, um, I would love to come back sometime if you ever want to talk about more nutrition. I know this could be like a five-part series. There's, We were talking before we hit record. We were going to dive into each one of your steps, and it's like that would be like a whole five-hour series because you're right. There is so much when it comes to nutrition and eating. So, Amber, thank you so much for doing this. I agree with Adriana. Yeah. This was I'm just listening to your voice and I'm like, she's definitely done a lot of podcasts and this is going to be such an easy edit for Adriana. So thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you guys. Mm -hmm. 